Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode of You, Me, Empathy. My name is Known Wells, and this is episode 197 on Loving an Animal as a Portal for Self-Healing with Katya Lidsky. Katya is a dear, sweet, feely human. She's an animal lover. She's a friend, and I am so grateful for this conversation. In it, we talk about creating boundaries in an enmeshed and codependent family, feeling like you have to earn love and living the tender and difficult pairing of a highly sensitive person with an eating disorder, and why loving an animal is one of the most available portals for self-healing in the world, which is a line that Katya says on her own podcast, The Animal That Changed You, one of my favorite new podcasts. It's tailor-made for a person like me, a feely person like me, who loves animals. It's wonderful. It's great. There is a trigger warning for this episode. We do uh, talk about eating disorders. We do get into uh, some specifics in terms of numbers. It Brief, but some specific. So, trigger warning there. We do talk about eating disorders. Before we get to the episode, though, I wanted to just say, please leave a rating and review for Yumi Empathy in Apple Podcasts. Even if you don't need if you even if you don't have a minute to leave a review, leave a rating. Five stars is my favorite number, but please be honest. And uh, I'm looking to get to 200 ratings by the time we reach 200 episodes. We're at 151 by my last count, and we're we're getting there. We're almost there. It's looking unlikely, but I believe in you. I believe in us. Let's do it. So leave a la- uh, rating and review for Yumi Empathy. That would be wonderful. And uh, go to feelyhuman.co to explore, connect with the community, sign up for my uh, free workshop, Feely Human 101. You can even write for the uh, Feely Human Collective and connect with me there. Uh, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at youmeempathy and the Feely Human Collective at feelyhuman is on Instagram. And I guess the last thing I'll say is please take care of yourself. I, it's, it's October here in Southern California and my allergies are going haywire and they get so bad. I get super dizzy and lightheaded and it's not fun. And so I have to remind myself to slow down and take a breath to concentrate on my breathing, to, to rest. Even when I'm yearning for adventure and a hike or something. Sometimes I need to rest. I'm going to give that to you. Sometimes you need to rest too. Rest is essential. Rest is important. Uh, As I mentioned on Instagram recently, 
what if we didn't have to crush it all the time? How about let's do away with crushing it altogether? How does that sound? No crushing. Let's let's abandon crushing it and killing it and all this language that's rooted in oppression and white supremacy and capitalism and toxic positivity and toxic masculinity. Let's burn it all down and rest our sweet little asses off. Uh, I don't know why I said sweet little asses, but I'm going to keep it in. I'm grateful for you, Feely Human. I'm grateful for you to be a part of this community. And uh, let's do it. Let's get to the episode. Episode 197 with my dear sweet friend Katya Litsky on loving an animal as a portal for self-healing. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective. On this show, we explore the struggles, the triumphs, the brights and the darks we face as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our mental health, our neuroses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic. And to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that can make, that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for stumbling over my words, and for being feely humans. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm over the moon, wherein the moon is occupied by space dogs because I'm here with brilliant writer, the realest animal lover you'll ever meet, and podcaster behind the animal that changed you. It's Katya Litsky. Hello, Katya. Hi. Uh, that is just so nice to hear that I'm in the same sentence as the moon. I felt, you know, verklempt by that. Uh, a, a moon occupied by space dogs. That, that did make it that much i mean like just the moon would have been enough and then the space dogs like i was like oh boy oh boy <laughs> what I mean, live up to there's um so we're getting right into it because there's something about animals doing not to take away from their animalness but there's something about like something so sweet and adorable when animals or dogs do like human things so cute right it's 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 absurd. You know why I think? Because when we do dog things, it's a joke. But mm-hmm. when they do human things, it's adorable. So basically what I'm saying is that when they do our things, we realize how less cute we are. Maybe. Maybe it is a, a mirroring effect where we're, in, we're, we're reminded of our sort of fallibility and the fact that we are less than animals. <laughs> I mean, I don't, but I'm like, yeah, (laughs) um, depending on what you value. 
Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah. But if you value like um understanding that love is only available in the present moment. Mm. It, it lives here now. Love is not a past thing. Love is not a future thing. It's literally here now. So if that's your highest value, then yes, I think animals are superior in that way. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Uh, so Katya, I'm so happy to be connecting with you here. I, I feel like I've, I've told you this, but I, we're new-ish internet friends, but it feels like we've been friends for years. And totally. I, I, I think it's because, well, first of all, it's hard to make friends as a grown adult. And there's this thing, there's this magical thing that happens when you meet someone that um, you can't, it's like an indescribable feeling that you just like, oh, this person feels safe. This person feels comfortable. This person like, uh, sees to the core of me right away, and and you're very good at that. And I'm just grateful to be here in your presence. Thank you for saying that. I definitely feel the same way. And was like, oh, there's a same same. There's like a mm. safe is a great word for it. And I would argue that that's much of your allure, and probably why you have such supportive, engaged followers who listen and are just dedicated to everything that you're building because you do create a very safe space for people to be real in mm. a world that's constantly encouraging us not to do that. Yeah, indeed. I, I appreciate that. So we always kick off the show, as you know, as the number one fan <laughs> with, an emotion, with an emotional check-in. How are you feeling, Katya? I am feeling, what's the kind of raw? I'm feeling raw. Okay. Yeah, which is not a bad place to be, but it's an exposing feeling, you know, tender, tender feeling. What is contributing to that rawness? Um, It was Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, Mm -hmm. recently, a couple days ago, and um, got into a family brawl, got into a family argument, Mm. Um, a a bad one. And it's the Jewish New Year. We're not like super religious, but I would say um, I'm a spiritual person and um, I'm a 12-step person. And I wanted to tell you that when you do your opening, I always close my eyes. It always feels like I'm I'm in the 12-step room where I'm just like, these are the principles. These are the (laughs) steps. I know that that might be a weird thing to say. I don't think think that's weird at all. I will say this uh, just real quick is that it's it grounds me as well and i feel like yeah it's it's sort of like okay we're getting into the space yeah yep. yeah it's like take a deep breath it's you know we're being real now dig drop in mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I, I love it um but um so yeah it, i'm a spiritual person so it's not so much that it's like oh the jewish holiday so let's be spiritual it's just the idea that like it's about being with family and for things to turn it's about being with loved ones and for things to turn and get very heated and sort of um, out of control was, was just when I tell you that like after the fight, some, a place in me was hurting my bot. I had a pain in my body that I truly cannot till this moment. Ex- I can't identify if it was my body or my soul. Mm. Like the hurt was so hot and big and, and heavy and, 
I felt it physically, but it was so down there, like in me that I was like, is this my soul hurting? Like what's in pain here? And though that feeling has subsided, the rawness has not. Mm. Um, But I, I, I'm one of those people who maybe um, uh, have, have a lot of work to do on releasing some codependent patterns because I feel my feelings after as opposed to before. So I don't necessarily draw my boundaries or say no or make a request or have a need that I, you know, make known. Yeah. And then I explode and mm-hmm. then um, I feel un- not understood. And then I have my feelings after, but I've confirmed the belief that I'm not understood by that pattern. Yes. Yes, it's a common one. And I just will say to you, Katya, it's hard. And I'm sorry you had to feel that and go through that. Like family stuff is especially rot and tricky and messy and confusing. And there's, I've been thinking about a lot lately, this idea around like family is family, right? There's this sort of cultural pressure to like show up for family. But what does that even mean? Is there intrinsic value in family? I don't think so. But like, we're pressured to think it is. And and then, yeah, and then there's co- if there's codependency, you know, wrapped up in sort of what, quote unquote, love is within family, that makes it difficult. So know that you're not alone in that feeling. That's a tough one. Thanks for saying that. It's funny you came into my mind because I was thinking um, I've caught in so many of your episodes, just like references and, and you making um, um you know, you're hinting to sort of boundaries that you've drawn and the spaces that you've made mm-hmm. in regards to family. So you popped into my mind um, because I was thinking, wow, maybe it's something that I need to ask for help with from people, you know, such as you to say, like, how do you do that? How do you make those boundaries? Um, because if it, what it, I don't know, I'm not an expert on codependency. And I, I do have a friend who's a therapist who said in order for a family to change, it's possible, but like everyone has to show up for the change. It can't be just you. Yes. If you just want to change and nobody else is aware or even knows what you're talking about or has any desire to change, then really what you're talking about is making boundaries. And that's on you because yes. otherwise everyone has to participate. And I was like, yeah, people don't want to participate. So that's on me now. <laughs> But I, it made me realize how much I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't know mm-hmm. how to do that. And I need to learn as a grown-ass woman now. Otherwise, it's going to feel um, always like I'm hurting myself so I don't hurt them. Yep. Which is just not an exchange that I can continue to make. I don't want to hurt my family. I love them. But, you know, I have to. has to uh, start with self. So I empathize deeply with that, Katya, and I will say the thing that has helped me in terms of navigating familial relationships and boundaries and taking care of self is the foundation of reminding myself that I am deserving of that attention and boundaries. Mm. So I would ask you, do you do you think you're deserving of those boundaries and that kind of care and attention to discern that and be curious about that? I think I, I mean, consciously here, as you ask my mind's like, yes, you are deserving. But I wonder about, you know, like I'm definitely someone who like 
signs up for all the woo stuff and I will show up at all the, and like, if there's a book with chakra, I'm going to buy the book, you know, like I'm yeah. fine with let's go. Yes. Um, but, and so I've done the work and I will continue to do the work and I hope I'm 95 and still doing the work. That's my hope for me. Um, but I do think that there are just some beliefs that are so d- like down deep in my mind. There are some beliefs that I have, you know, put together or drawn that started since the beginning, they're primal and Mm -hmm. they must have something to do with my sense of worth or my sense of deserve um, as something that's outside of me Mm -hmm. instead of something that's inside of me or else I wouldn't have gotten as upset as I did or, or have put myself in a situation of continuing to say yes and spread myself so thin that I, that I do need to explode because I'm literally not being considered. Yeah. But I'm doing that. Like, I mean, they might be too, but that's on me. So I'm not in any way, shape, or form like absolving. I think in any argument, it always is two people like or more. It's always mm-hmm. a dynamic. It's always both. Yes. Um, or several. But um, I I want to say yes. I'm deserving and acknowledge that there is going to be some active work in um in like honoring that in, in making tiny, small actions, taking my tiny, small steps that like muscle rep that in action mm-hmm. over and over again, in order for that, whatever that other thing is to, to wither. Cause it yeah. must still be there. <laughs> yeah. And those like foundational core things that we learn in childhood are, I, I do think they're, lifelong sort of work pieces, right? Like, I have this belief that I deserve pain. It's still in me, right? Like, and it's still like, I have to remind myself that, oh, like, this thing you did was associated with that. Even if like, that realization comes later, like, you're still being mindful of it. And it's, I think, I think we get caught up in, as humans, we get caught up in like the the timeline of these things. And I think you even realizing and after the fact is progress, right? Like we have to like celebrate little victories along the way, right? Yeah. I I do think about, you know, the the enmeshment of fa- families and co- how codependency is sort of wrapped up in that. And that work is very hard, especially when there are people and parties that are not, as you said, not willing to look at it honestly themselves. And and you're right, then it's on you to sort of discern that stuff. Like, what, what can I can control here? Like, I've had to do a lot of work around, like, what can I control? What can I let go? What am I holding on to that, like, is tearing me apart? And yeah. if I looked at it, like, sort of if I take a step back and look at it more sort of rationally, there's nothing I can do about this. It's only bringing suffering. So why am I resisting this? Why can't I just let it go? It's hard, but I've had to do a lot of letting go and sort of reframing what what family is and uh, how I sort of uh, received love and, and what love is, all that stuff. It's, it's hard work. It is really hard work. I think... Um we, I mean, I think we all 
wanting to do the work and doing the work are two different things. And I, I realize that my parents and my family may want to, or may say they want to, but I, I do agree with you that it is hard work. And I think at the end of the day, you know, like my parents, I get a lot of like, you know, my name is Katia, but they call me Katika um, because I'm, we're Cuban Jews, we're Jubans. So they love to make, not only make up words, but add, you know, little ITAs to everything. So they're Katika. Um, I, I am who I am at this point. It's, mm-hmm. it, I cannot change at this point. And it's taken me all this time to realize that what they're saying when they say that isn't, I don't love you enough to change, which is what I thought I was hearing. I think it's, again, about beliefs because you and I know how hard it is to change them. It's, mm-hmm. it's so hard. It doesn't, it, it, it's worth it, but it's a lot of um, mindful and conscious work. Yeah. And I think what my parents are saying when they say that is there is so much built on top of these old beliefs that I fear I will crumble if you ask me to change them. Mm-hmm. So don't a- stop asking. Like, I really feel now this sense from them of like, I am not willing to do that. Like, it's too, there's a lot of cobwebs down there in that, in that belief system. And there it's impossible. And of course it's not, you just have to show up. Um, I think yeah. our generation is, is, is it's in our zeitgeist to, to, to show up in that yeah. way. Yeah. It's such a common thing. Um, f- fear of change and, and because it is scary, it, it, it's scary, but the reality is that change is essential. Change is necessary. Right. Um, yeah. I, I, how are you as a kiddo? Because I, you know, I, I think we share a lot in in terms of sort of our maybe codependency tendencies, people pleasing tendencies, big feelings. You know how how did that? Uh, how how are you showing that as a kiddo? Super sensitive, serious. Mm. Um, I mean, I've always had a sense of humor. I will say, but like. I, you know, if, if I pick you up from the airport and you get in my car and want to talk about capital punishment, like I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm not going to be like, yeah, let's, let's like, listen to the radio. I'm going to be like, let's get into capital. Like the minute you land, I Mm -hmm. will always talk about the real stuff. And I was like that as a kid, I, I was drawn to the serious. Um, I grew up on the border of Texas, uh, the border between Laredo and Nuevo Laredo, Mexico, on, on the Laredo side, but we would go across the border all the time. And forgive me if I've already told you this, but lots of stray animals. That was a big thing that I remember. So I remember mm-hmm. driving on the bridge and, you know, people walking because it was um, at that time a little more fluid. People can come and go to shop, etc. A lot of young kids selling gum on the street. And I was upset. A lot of stray animals. And I was upset. Mm. Um, going to a restaurant, there are, you know, slabs of cow hanging from the ceiling. I'm upset, like a lot of that. And, um, I, I, the feeling, and I'm sure my family would have a different take on it, but the feeling that I felt was like the feedback from them was that this was like, get it together, or this is an inconvenience, or this is super annoying, or like, why can't you look away? But I could never look away. I mm-hmm. never could as a kid. I was always consumed by what was happening around me and super 
in tune. You could walk into the room with a certain breath and I would know that you were needed something and I would provide it by God. I wanted to provide it. Mm-hmm. Were you sad? Were you mad? I was going to make you laugh. I'll make you a sandwich. What can I do? I'm going to do that thing. Yeah. Um, and it's not really that I was so sweet and great and a martyr. It was an enormous responsibility I put on myself. Yeah. It was a grandiosity. And um, yeah, just a sense of like, I have to earn my right to be on this planet. Mm. One person at a time, one animal at a time, one, one going to love me at a time. That's probably the best way I could put it even as a child. But by 11, I had a trapper keeper. It was dark gray with diagonal lines. And I would write down everything I ate and what I was going to eat tomorrow. And the calories would go from 1500 to 1200 to a thousand. And excuse me, I know that's a trigger. Um, It's just so clear in my mind, you know, to 800 to 600 to, you know, every Mm -hmm. bite of a taffy, every, everything. So Mm -hmm. by 11, it was very much the feedback loop of love was Katya, what are you eating? Katya, you look thin. I got a lot of attention from that. And I think if I could describe the feeling, I, I didn't know it consciously at the time, but the feeling I got from their concern over my weight was like, I'll own, I own you now. Mm. I'm, I'm, you're going to miss me when I'm gone. I'm going to get so little. I'll fit in your pocket and then I'll disappear. And then you'll be sorry. I think if I could, if that feeling could talk now, those were, that's what I, it would have said. <laughs> I relate to that. I remember feeling, I'll show you, you know, uh, I'll show you how much I can diminish and punish and hurt myself and harm myself. Yeah. I wonder for you, because I, I relate to so much of that, Katya, uh, sort of the feeling, all of it and, and the sensitivity how do you connect sort of now as you reflect back the that part of yourself, the stray dogs and the hanging meat and stuff to the eating disorder? Yeah. I mean, I actually think that there's, I'd love to see some research, any scientists and researchers out there. I'd love to see like data collected on the overlap between animal people and eating disorders. Hmm. Um, and I, I think the um, obvious correlation can be made that it's like, oh, another diet, another way to restrict or withhold. But I don't think it's that actually. I think that people who have an open heart to the world and feel for the world um, have a, it's a natural trap for them to have eating issues. And I also think it's a natural trap for them to care about animals and and anyone who's suffering. Hmm. So I think it's more about an emotional landscape than it is about the obvious, you know, way to cut out a food group. Um, and the way I really look at all of my eating disorder now is, and this one's been easier for me than changing other beliefs, but I look at my eating disorder and my, um, you know, struggles as like a, a, an enormous blessing because I have a very clear built-in barometer of when anything is wrong. Like, I mean, I am just like a textbook. Like I'll be like, you know what? I should give up bread. 
you know, it's like the minute that thought pops into my mind, I'm like, there might be something else I'm feeling that I am not, I'm not dealing with. I think that's what, you know, I just know, cause I mm-hmm. hear, you know what? Detoxing sounds like a good idea. It's like, well, no, it's actually probably something else, my love. Um, and I, you know, my, for me, it was anorexia that, you know, went to overeating and bulimia and, and I sort of triple threaded between Mm those, um, because I wanted to live and then I wanted to withhold and, um, I wanted a lot of control and I wanted a lot of guarantee. And now, and now you felt out of control, right? You felt, well, I mean, the way I sort of connect my pieces, you know, my anorexia, my sort of sensitivity is that not being seen, right? Like not being seen and sort of maybe sort of unconsciously understanding that like, hey, what I have is is great, but like no one has seen that. Like it's seen as a burden, right? And so, you know, a bit of the anorexia for me was, yeah, is like I have no control how I show up in the world. No one gives a shit. This is one way I can do so and sort of, sort of stake my claim and my singular power against, you know, the world or whatever, you know? I do. I think the animals, the the loving of animals and the not eating of animals has been at times confusing, but it has managed to continuously untangle itself from all of what you just described. Mm. And I'm so grateful for that. It's just, it's one of the most pure things in my life. And I am not a perfect vegan. And I won't even tell you that I have been a perfect vegetarian all the decades I've been um, not eating animals. I haven't been. And I know this might sound like a cop-out, but for me, for me, the win of, oh, I got that muffin and I don't know what, you know, it was just a muffin from Starbucks and it was what it was, is so much greater than like, nope, I'm not eating that muffin. I'm going to eat perfect. I will not, I will not eat it unless I know it's a V for me because left to my own devices, devices, I am so extreme, very black and white. And like, if you own a cult, you want me in there because I'm going to be your best number two. I will preach your message. I will be, I will, I am, I got to be careful. So any way that I can be in the gray, a little soft is, and then it's such a win for me. It's such contrary action. Mm, I love that. I I think that's where the magic is, is in that gray. Cause I, the labels and the identities piece, they they serve a purpose and they have value, uh, but not intrinsic value, right? Like, And they could put us in these boxes and then they be- become these sort of hyper-controlled truths that like, if we feel like we step outside of that, we all of a sudden we're feeling like a fraud? Like yeah. why, like how is it that reactionary, you know? So- Totally. Yeah, creating more space for that gray is essential. And I, and it's, I'm so dedicated to it. It is what the animal that changed you community is for, because yeah. um, I am not interested in like the rules for the sake of the rules. I am not interested in any more subscriptions where my worth is contingent upon something outside of me. I'm just literally uninterested in it because it causes me great suffering. So for me, it's about like, you just do meatless Mondays, come in. That is awesome. 
you say a little prayer in your mind before you eat your chicken, there's a space for you here too. You caring and you thinking about it is the beginning. The beginning is willingness and willingness is everything. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that I'm glad that you and I have gotten that for ourselves because I know that for the restricting withholding mind, that is a really big sign of progress. Mm. How so you started that journey at eleven. How did it how did sort of I guess I guess like how was it I mean you said you got some attention, you know, and that prob- probably felt very powerful. How did it manifest other ways it manifested did you go to treatment did you you know how long did it last all that Mm, you know I lied a lot manifested a lot of lying Mm. Um, not wanting to suffer consequences of things I you know wanted or decisions I made so I would lie Mm. what would Um, you lie about like I would lie if I didn't want to go to a friend's house for a slumber party because I knew there'd be food and then I'd want to eat the food. I would lie about why I couldn't yep. remember that clearly. Or I'd lie to my mom about wanting to take a big long bath so I could stand on the edge of the bathtub and stare at myself in the mirror naked and just pull and yank it, all the skin everywhere. Mm. And just stare, just like And it was a three-quarter mirror, so I would be decapitated. I couldn't see my head when I stood on the edge of the bathtub. It was literally just a body. Um, Just lots of ways to do what I wanted to do. Yeah. That, um, you know, and it was exciting that I got away with it. Until I didn't, it was actually the janitor of my middle school. His name was Pancho, and I loved him. And Pancho had been with me since I was a kindergartner. He was such a wonderful man. Um, he had a silver front tooth. I'll never forget it because he would kind of whistle when he talked and I would talk to him all the time. <laughs> I just loved him. And he had known me since I was five and I was 12 in the sixth grade when, I mean, I had been losing a bunch of weight. My older sister went, had gone to boarding school. And my little sister was like three or four years old. So I was uh, the, the middle and being a middle child, I just want to say for everyone who's a middle out there, here's what being a middle child is. Of course, of course you are known. I mean, of course. <laughs> and I, I, I knew we were meant to know each other. Being in the middle is you're sitting in a chair and one day someone comes and goes, get out. That's not your chair anymore. Get, uh, hey, get up. Why? Get up or I will kick you out is no longer your chair. That's what it feels like. No matter, I know my parents love me, but when there is one-on-one with the oldest and one-on-one time with the youngest, and that time is never really given to you, that act is so humongously, monumentally painful that all the words in the world do not combat it. Mm. And I felt that no one was seeing me lose 5, 10, 20 pounds until Pancho pulled my mother aside. Pancho said, Katia throws away her lunch every day. She puts the lunchbox up. It was a purple lunchbox and she pretends to eat and I watch her and then she throws it away. If he had not told my parents, what would I have weighed? What would have happened until they noticed, until Mm. they saw me? How low was I going to go? It's kind of sad and kind of also alarming and kind of also hilarious to me. It's all the things. It's all the things. And it's reflective of the time too, right? You know, this stuff was accepted. It was not talked about. It was people suffering in silence, right? A lot of that. 
grateful for Poncho. Me too. Do you you have eating disorder history in your family? May I ask? Like I have it everywhere, but they don't know it, but I can see it. Uh, Maybe they know it. So in my, um, I I believe that I have uh, someone in my, uh, I have an aunt who struggled, uh, certainly uh, some cousins who have struggled with anorexia specifically. Um. I don't know if in my direct family, um, you know, but I, I, you know, I was, uh, my mom was like, uh, an aerobics instructor for 40 years and like still is right. Yeah. So like we were sort of in an environment that was like fitness and no, like no sugar in the house. And, you know, you use molasses and stuff. And I, I say that not to like, you know, uh, disparage my mom. Like that's, it wasn't her fault or anything, but like that was the world, right? Like, late eighties, nineties, you know, no fat, you know, all that stuff. Right. Like that was certainly, and I, and it wasn't that I was, that was my motivation. Right. It was, you know, that, that was just the backdrop. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that is a heated environment of food body weight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, from then on, it was, you know, you know, it was probably the same you know, you know how it goes once that that is your, you know, my grandparents gave out Oreos to all the grandkids based on our weight after mm. dinner, uh, you know, you can have yeah. one, you can have seven, you can have none, you can have two. I mean, it's like, ugh, just, wow. you know, there's, there was stuff. And, um, it, I mean, I, I get bored of hearing myself, but it, it was the, from then on, it was eating because people need me to eat and then finding lean it just on and off. I went to boarding school, which is a breeding ground, just a petri dish for yeah. my experience. Anyways, um, hey Katya, yeah, I don't get bored of you talking about it. I, I think what you're doing is important, and I I had to tell myself this as well because I talk about my mental health journey all the time, and I say like, well, who the hell are you? Who cares? You know, like there are millions of people out there, but the reality is that someone can listen to this episode, Katya listen to your story and be like, oh shit, that's me, right? That's the point. So interesting because I never get tired of hearing your mental health journey. So it's so it's it's a beautiful thing to have that reflection. Thank you. Well, yeah, you're welcome. And give that to yourself. Yeah. Right? I will tell you that being a mother now hmm. to girls, um, I have an enormous willingness, an enormous commitment to giving that to myself just so I can give it to them. (laughs) And, um, letting them serve their own, you know, meals and trying to let them eat what they want and stop when they're full. I mean, like I am just so, you know, terrified. I don't want them to carry. Yeah. Resist. I mean, you asked me how it manifested in other ways. You know, I didn't want you know, people to touch my body. I was always the girl men talked to about other girls. I loved yeah. that role. I'll be your friend. You can tell me about how much you love Megan and, and, you know, Fulana and whoever else, but <laughs> I, I'm not going to, you can't lay a hand on my thighs. Yeah. So, um, I don't want that for my girls. I, I don't want that for, and, and if they, you know, are gender fluid and, 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 you know, they feel more like whatever. I don't want that for any human beings or yes. any beings. So um, I will say that 
if anybody who listens has a kid who's struggling, I will say for whatever it's worth, the only thing I think can that I will allow myself the space to say over and over again, although I'm going to work on it for you. I'm going to work on allowing all of it to be said. Please, but please. Just, I think what would have gone a long way is um, a, just sort of the question from the whole family, like, hey, you have an eating disorder. So, so that means it's a family issue. Mm. What can we do? How can we change with you? What do you need? from us that we can do together. I would have been, a, I would have had a very different story. I personally think love is inserting a moment. That's what my definition of love is. It's inserting a moment before you react to check in with yourself and to consider what that other being might need. Doesn't mean you're going to give it because you're not there to serve other people only. But I think that knowledge, that moment, is what love feels like to me. Hmm. And I would have loved yeah. someone to insert that moment in all the years of, you know, 13, 14 years of an eating disorder, a moment one time in my family to ask me, how can we change for you? Yeah. I'm sorry you didn't have that. It's, I, I think of my decade in anorexia, your 13, 14 years, just so much pain like i like i reflect on it from time to time just how certainly physically painful but emotionally painful and isolating and lonely that experience is and i yeah i don't wish it upon anyone it's it's brutal it's brutal it is and it's such a dehumanizing existence and i I I'm grateful you're here. I'm so um, grateful that you're thinking about your place and cognizant of your history in context of you raising kiddos. Like that's a beautiful gift. Thank you. I think that's that's the gift we can all give each other, right? Is like reflecting on what we're coming to the table with, right? Reflecting on how we're informed in that in that position and then to your point what love is which i i love that is taking a moment to reflect and i think that's what empathy is really it's like yeah are we are we showing up sort of removed of our sort of preconceptions on how this is going to go are we removed of our biases are we removed of our judgments are we showing up and truly holding space and meeting people exactly where they are, not to agree, but to listen, right? Yeah. yeah. I love that That it feels like empathy to you. That is a really, really good. I'm going to think about that. I love that. Um, I will say, you know, I hear myself sometimes with all this, and I'm like, oh, God, I'm that 42-year-old woman who's like, no one inserted a moment for me. You know, I want to I acknowledge that voice in my head and say that to that voice <laughs> and to anyone's voice, um, it's actually, I think, important to do so, to keep calling it out. Because I don't know if you agree with this, Noan, but I am definitely as sick as my secrets. And as, as we say in the program, and um, 
I, my, it's, it, it, all my secrets are always a shameful place. And, um, the more I talk about it, the more it like enlarges, it sort of loosens up the hold on those beliefs that we were talking about before that I don't want to have anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I ask myself all the time, like, how do I change beliefs? What am I going to do to change my beliefs? And like, I would, I would uh, put money down that this is how, this is how you change your beliefs. You it's talk vulnerability. Yeah. You're vulnerable. You connect, you tell the story again, because one person might need it. And that's it. That's literally how you change your beliefs. And that's what you're doing. That's what you're giving people. And why I think we're also thirsty for the space you hold. And the space you hold. So you meant, you keep mentioning 12 steps. Are Do you talk about that in context of your eating disorder or? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But I am, I know it's an anonymous program and I respect and honor that and, would never out anybody else, but I am so proud to be a 12 stepper and I believe they should be taught in middle school, the steps. And I really believe that. And, um, I find them, they were a radical bomb to my soul bomb, B A L M not a B O M B, but maybe also a bomb. Um, just the idea of like, what kind of higher power do I want to turn my life and my will over to Like, who could I actually do that to? feminine, feminine energy, funny, funny as shit has got my back, <laughs> you know, a higher power who's with me through all the things that life and the life force will bring. Cause I don't subscribe to a higher power. Who's like, Oh, that had to happen to you. I don't, none of that for me. It doesn't work. Yeah, I will yeah. stay up at night going, why are kids in the hospital? Why are animals abuse? God wants that. That's what God, I can't, my brain can't do it. Yep. Um, so just that permission, like I can totally turn my life and will over to a high, the higher power that I understand. And she, she, it's fluid. She changes, she morphs, she shifts. She's doesn't have to be a fixed point. Um, the idea of making amends, the idea of letting go of resentments, the idea of like, you know, sitting with self meditating. I, I just principles before personalities. Doesn't matter what I, who I like, we're all in this together. And in the world, I mean, very true. Super basic stuff that I wasn't encouraged uh, to to put first in my life, and um, I had to find it in an eating disorder twelve step recovery room. Hmm. Yeah, I so I think about this stuff a lot because you mentioned Catholicism, sort of that was your framework growing up. Mine was like evangelical Christianity, so. A lot of those frameworks are very shame-based, very guilt-based, right? Very like about um, really ascribing to a lot of sort of individualist sort of types of thinking versus what you're talking about, which is what I, where my heart's at, which is more how do our actions impact others? How can we protect the most vulnerable? How are we serving our community, Right. Um, like, and that type of thinking is where I want to continue to grow into, uh, not in spite of, uh, evangelical Christianity, but in spite of the systems that deny us of self. Yeah. Yeah. And and those systems are the same systems that oppress, right? (laughs) Totally the same. It's all the same root. hundred percent. 
Yeah. I think that's my draw to animals. You know, like if you were to really unpack the way bottom, just the absolute bottom, what's at the absolute bottom of this country, it's all built on the backs of animals. Mm. And I'll take that with me. That's the hill I'll die on. What do you mean by that? How we eat, um, how we test medication, um, entertainment, uh, work, everything. Everything is, they are the, the animals, non-human animals are just so not considered. Mm. And we have so many justifications for it. It's in the Bible. Uh, they don't feel all the way we feel. They don't think the way we think. Um, they're not equal. We have so many stories yeah. to uh, rationalize this life. And I am not saying that, like, I don't take Tylenol, which was probably tested on animals, or that I don't, you know, let my kids get an omelet if they want an omelet. Like, I'm not perfect. I am not in any way, shape, or form, like self-righteously waving my finger. But I am very aware that the least I could do on a daily basis through as many actions as possible is try to compensate for all the ways that all the systems that I'm a part of, a part of rests on their backs. That's the best way that I can make sense of it. I think that's the work. That's what we're talking about, right? It's not just people. It's everything, right? Yeah. I mean, if you read the studies and the the reports on people who work in factory farms, for example, I mean, it, talk about Yumi empathy, but we should be blasting it. I, mean, I, I feel for those animals day and night. I can tap into that feeling anytime. You, I can, you could say, Katya, can you feel for an animal right now? And the fact I'm like, okay, I'm there. Bye. See you later. I'm going to be down. I'm closing my eyes and sobbing for a little while. Yeah. But my growth as a person is, has been, been about, I mean, it's very easy for me to think of them because they're the most vulnerable in my, um, in my eyes, if you look at magnitudes and scope. Mm-hmm. But my work has really been about the people, the poor people who also work there mm. and what it's required, um, what it requires of them and what it, requ- what, what it requires, just the entire thing, it, what it cuts off in them, what, how they have to, what they have to do to make it day in and day out in that work setting, how little they're protected. Yeah. Um, it's not a great place for humans. The you know the the pandemic if the pandemic didn't bring that to light what's going to? Yeah. We we've just become very sophisticated at compartmentalizing. Humans <laughs> humans have become very good at compartmentalizing. And you know yeah. what, known I have a hard time with that. My brain is one big vat of goo and it's all mixed up in there and I and I think that that is what makes somebody deeply, deeply empathetic. Mm. It's all covered in goo. <laughs> it's just a bunch of goo. It's it's Ninja Turtles 2, the secret of the ooze. That's what it is. <laughs> I I feel all of that. And I, I also, you know, just like vulnerably, I, I struggle with it too. As someone who, you know, I have this eating disorder past and I also have like... I'm allergic to soy and I'm allergic to wheat and I have all these like restrictions and that feels like initially it felt triggering and I'm, I've sort of moved beyond that, thankfully. 
And I don't like to eat meat. And I, I do eat meat every once in a while. I eat probably 90% vegetarian, but still, I still like don't like it and I don't like to do it. And at, you know, at times I feel like I, I like so frustrated because it feels like I can't eat anything. And then I, you know, it's just this whole thing. But like, I know the work isn't about perfection because that's not the thing. The work is about incremental change. Right. But it's, it's overwhelming. And I, I think what you're asking and what I'm asking of people and ourselves is, can we take, it goes back to your thing about love. Can we take a moment to ponder the workers at these factories? Can we take a moment to ponder the life of this creature, this living, breathing, beautiful creature? Can we take a moment and pause and reflect and think about the next action we'll take, how it has consequences and how it has this ripple effect on the world. Can we do that from the minuscule actions we take to the big, right? All up and down the ladder, right? Like that is, I think, the ask. Yeah. I mean, if, if how you do one thing is how you do everything, then yes, that is the ask. And I, I really want to say that, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, this is not to you. I just want to identify that for me, like I, the part of my brain that is susceptible to an eating disorder is the part of my brain that looks for stuff that is wrong or that I did wrong. Mm. That's my favorite one. (laughs) But um, have I had a tuna fish sandwich in the past decade? I have. I've had one. Do I dance up and down the street? I'm so happy I did it. I do not. Um, but I will talk to any animal rights person until I'm blue in the face of why it at the, I'm the movement back up the movement in me to go like, okay, you know, I did that and I'm going to forgive myself for doing that. And I'm going to say a little prayer for that tuna. And if everything's energy, I'm going to put that out there and I'm going to, recommit for the next meal, just one meal to try to have a vegetarian meal. Like that movement, that's the best thing I could do for animals. That's the best thing I could do for the planet. That, that compassion, that growth, that forgiveness, that I need that for myself Mm -hmm. in order to be able to give it to any other being. Yeah. So it's, I, I would love, Oh God, I am obsessed with, um, like animal liberation front activists, mm-hmm. people who put on the masks and do direct action and break animals out of labs. Like when I tell you I'm obsessed with them, like I wish I was like, I wish I could just make a ton of money and send like all my money to them. I, I, I think they're amazing. I'm amazed mm-hmm. by anybody who puts it all on the line. Sorry, yes. I'm using my hands. I love it. Um, anybody who can do that and live like that, but it requires a myopic lens that has just never been afforded to me because I love people with different points of views and different ways of living. Mm-hmm. And I want to be a mom and a friend and a wife. And a, my, m- my destiny is to hold space for all these different things. Mine is not to live underground and free animals from laboratories, although I fantasize about doing it and I wish I could. 
Instead, I became a mom. Well, and 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 you're you're sort of serving the next generation in the way that you know how. And I, I think we all play a role, right? Like we need we need the people who do that and go sort of full head on into the laboratories and free the mice, right? We need those people, and we need you, right? Um, and I think that's a good transition into sort of the work you're doing with your podcast, the animal that changed you, which. I just love it's 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 I I think I told you when I was a guest on the show I it was it's a podcast that's perfectly made for my heart um and thank you I want to talk a little bit about like the sort of the origin story behind it and and you know your your girls Ophelia and and you know Phoebe and and sort of the the start of it and let's yeah. get into that Okay. So Ophelia is my first rescue. And yeah, I mean, she's, she loved me when I didn't love myself. Mm. I was at the end of, you know, I had, I had had, I've had a couple relapses since I've had her, but I hadn't known recovery before her. And I don't think I would have, I desperately wanted to be okay. I desperately wanted to be better so I could take care of her. And when I was binging and purging and I wanted her to, you know, find a better person than me, I, she wanted me. And, um, she made me realize that I loved myself enough to want to love myself more. And she just like loved me for me until I could do it. And Ophelia and I have the most intimate relationship that I've ever had with someone for this length of time. Cause she predates my husband um, <laughs> as he, he, as he reminds me and her all the time. But you know, by that, I mean, we argue, I mean, before I met him, like I go to work and I'd come home and she will have eaten all my lip glosses. And I'd be like, I can't believe you did this to me. Gosh, Ophelia. And then I'd be like, I'm going downstairs to smoke a cigarette. And I'd slam the door and then I'd come up and she'd be howling. I mean, we would get in real fights coming from a family where you're the middle child, people pleaser, and you just want to evaporate for people to, to to honor what you bring to the table to have to be able to be real just like i feel this i'm mad at you and not worry about the consequences was a a, 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 wow immeasurable gift i was so authentic with her i always have been and she has been with me she's gonna be 17 i rescued her as a puppy so i know her age um ish mostly (laughs) uh average age and um she has fostered 60 pets with me um and well actually 58 because phoebe was my other dog and frito was my other dog and i've loved them so much and i love uh relationships that i feel in my home when they're there I love even with my family around and even my kids and my husband, that there's this other being who always keeps me connected to me. I'm not a mother or a wife or a daughter or a sister when I'm with my dogs. And uh, Ophelia Mm. was the first one to give me that sense. Like I am me. I'm just me. And I am the luckiest person in the world that I have a barometer because of these eating disorder thoughts. Sure but I'm the luckiest person in the world because I have a purpose and that purpose has everything to do with trying to compensate, try to give, trying to give back for all they've given to me, which is a sense of who I am. 
That's I can't even, you know, how do we quantify that? You can't. Yeah. That's so beautiful and powerful, Katya. I I was just reflecting on, you know, the you know, thinking about my relationship to animals and you know, and how it's maybe different with humans. And you mentioned the thing about like how you're just just me. And I I think it's so true. It's like we I think I think we start with a guard with humans, right? We start with this like okay, I'm the son or I'm the husband or I'm the partner, right? And and there's there's cultural like stuff we have to like assess and get through and all this stuff, right? And there's a lot of work there. And with animals, it's just this pure I see you, you see me, and let's just go. Let's start right there. And it's so beautiful and you described it perfectly. Thanks. I mean, I want to I want to call out that like as would happen to me in the 12 steps whenever I would share, you know, you raise your hand, you share for 3 minutes. I'd always want to be like funny or insightful and I feel that right now. I just want to say it and put it out, out there on the airwaves. Like I want to be funny and insightful and wow you and I didn't realize that I was thinking that until you asked about Ophelia and the animals because it went away. Mm. And sometimes I don't know something's there until there's an absence of it. And so I want to thank you for, you know, putting me into my feet again by mm. asking me about them because I love, I mean, Ophelia brought me to the shelter. I wouldn't have started volunteering if I hadn't had her and my soul was, you know, open to her and, and, to, and there, and thus to any animal, I, you know, I'd always been an animal lover, but I, I was now like, oh shit, every dog in the shelter is potentially an Ophelia. I, that was a scramble for the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being at the shelter. I love those animals. They're so unique and they're so cool. And I have no agenda when I'm with them. And it's just a beautiful reminder that I have an agenda a lot of other times because <laughs> 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 it's not there. Yeah. It's the lack of, it's like, I'm all that human stuff is stripped away and I'm in just indebted to them for that. Um, yeah. 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 They, they have a way to, of, of reminding you that the petty sort of way that we humans use language and connect with each other and whatever, like they have a way of just like, well, that just, that's not for me. Like, that's not how it works here. Over here is about pure heart, pure love, pure energy and presence. I love how you said that. That's exactly right. Gifts, me, like, you know, yeah. sorry. Okay. It doesn't mean much. It's what yeah. you do. Yeah. And it's what you do. You know, it's so funny because it's so full circle. With animals, it's what you do before you do it. Like, for me to scream at my dog and then say, I'm sorry, doesn't, really mean much other to her other than that person's scary when I feel that energy. Mm-hmm. So with my, with Ophelia, with Phoebe, who was a really hard shepherd, really tough dog who was supposed to be a foster, but nobody would could deal with her. So we kept her and she taught me everything worth knowing about dogs and training. And she's probably even more than Ophelia has taught me that or, or did teach me. She has passed a couple years now that it's that moment before. So when I got into a fight with my parents on Rosh Hashanah, 
And I was living in the after, in the fallout. I was living in the, I acted before I thought, before I felt. I think I'm realizing now, talking to you, that that pain I felt in my soul, spirit, body, all of me, was a sadness for where I where I have the capacity, where I have the potential to go with them, which is a place I don't want to be this person who just acts and thinks later because Mm -hmm. it's not loving to them. And at the end of the day, I cannot control how they see me or if they like me, but I can control if I love them, if I insert a moment and I didn't, and that's okay. But my dogs, they, I insert a moment because that's what matters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to do that with everybody. Yeah. That's my aim. <laughs> Mine too. Thank you for sharing that. I I I love hearing people talk about their animals. I I cuz I think it's it's the purest. Oh, speaking of, did you hear Maddie I heard in the background? Her. Maddie wants to be included. Maddie She's wants to be part of this. Dad. Um it just is the purest form of love and animals have changed me in in so many ways and I I'm just grateful for you and and the amazing work you're doing with animals and the podcast, the animal that changed you. It's um, it's it's life changing. It is, and and I'm just grateful for its existence and your existence in the world. I know that we have uh, to end this shortly because you have to go pick up your kiddos, and I. I want to talk to you for many more hours, but I am respecting your time and heart and all that stuff. So let's, let's talk about empathy heroes, Katya. So these are the people in our lives who deep, empathetic, compassionate humans could be even characters from stories, movies, et cetera. I will go first to give you a moment to think about yours. Right. My empathy hero this week is Courtney on uh, Courtney uh, or corn uh, as she goes by is, uh, an artist, and um, I think it's Courtney on Design on Instagram. I'll share a link to the show notes. But anyways, I've been sort of going back and forth with Courtney on this new potential project that's going to kind of be a big financial investment. And I don't have the money, but it's exciting. And Courtney is like so immensely talented uh, listeners. Uh, and she does amazing work and a, a ton of like great... Uh, graphics around anti-racism and empathy and compassion. And uh, she's wonderful. And I just wanted to shout her out. She's she's doing wonderful work in the world of advocacy. And she's a brilliant artist. So give her a follow. I'll make sure to include the link in the show notes at feelyhuman.co. How about you, Katya? You're empathy hero. I mean, you're one of them. I just want to say that, if I can just say that. Because, I mean... I have to say it. One of the reasons is because you're a feeling boy and I didn't feel safe around a lot of boys. And if they'd been feely boys like you I would have. And um, I want to say back that I, I loved when you came on um, the animal that changed you. I love your stories. I love hearing all the new angles and layers of you and what you have to share. And I mm. mean that I'm not, you know, one to make proclamations of that. I don't mean, unfortunately, um, <laughs> or fortunately my, I will say that my, um, empathy hero, one of them, um, I always comes back to her, but I'm going to say Tina Turner. She's my idol and I love her because nobody sings like her and nobody, 
nobody could convince her to sing any other way. Mm. And she dealt with a lot of bad hands. And at the end of the day, the biggest like love and light that she had to shine was on herself. And she did. And I'm so glad she did because we all get her music and we all get her grit. And I fucking love her. I love everything she stands for. I would, I wish to be as strong as Tina Turner because her strength is her empathy in my opinion. Mm, I love that. We haven't had Tina Turner called out on this show yet. So (laughs) there's a first, I love it. It's a wonderful empathy hero. Uh, Well, Katya, thank you so much for being a part of this. Where can the listeners out there connect with you? Obviously listen to the animal that changed you, all that lovely stuff. I'm Katya Litsky, very Russian ice skater name. K-A-T-Y-A. Can you ice skate? Cannot. Cannot. Cannot Or speak Russian. Okay. But I feel Russian in my blood. Um, K-A-T-Y-A-L-I-D like David as like Sam K-Y. Katya Litsky on Instagram and on Twitter. And um, we have a Facebook group called The Animal That Changed You Community for Animal Lovers. But also go to your local shelter and... And I hope I'll meet you there and we'll talk for hours while we pet animals. And I'm so grateful that you're my friend and that you invited me here to spend time with you and that I have so many episodes to keep binging on of yours. Um, They're good for my heart. And I am really grateful that you're here too. Hmm. Well, this is just the first chapter of Katya Unknown, uh, I think, you know, I think there's lots of, lots of chapters in the future. I'm very excited about those. Yeah. (laughs) I am really here to cheer you on and support you in any way I can. Like, I, I hope you feel how much I mean that. I, I share that. Likewise, I love your show and will share it always. Um, So, uh, Katya, again, you're wonderful. Very grateful for your friend. And to you listeners, I'm here. You're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy.